kind of bug me and irritate me. Um, I got one this morning on the way to church. Um, it's when the guy in front of you gets to the light that's red and there's cars opposite him and when the light turns green he then puts out his left hand turn indicator. Like, why didn't you do that before? I don't understand that. Anyway, I thought it was this morning. Um, but I've, I've some, I really, just, you need to know about me and my character, I really don't like lateness. I'm a real nut kind of on punctuality. Uh, at our church in Victoria one time, I was standing in the foyer for service, and a guy came in and said, can you tell me when your 9 o'clock service starts? It starts at 9 o'clock. I mean, like, think about it. So I, if I had written the fruit, you know the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience. I wouldn't have written patience. I would have written punctuality. Then, because you see, if you're punctual, I don't need patience. Um, just, you know, think about it. If, if you were late for church this morning, can I just tell you that God's forgiven you? And I'm working on it. Okay? Just that's the way it is. Um, I really don't like people who kind of have a little too much to drink and make a nuisance of themselves. Um, drunk drivers, I would send to a deserted island somewhere. But people who just kind of get a little happy and make a nuisance of themselves. Um, I really have trouble with that. I was coming out of Toronto one night, flying from Toronto to Vancouver and then the island, and in the, the boarding area where you wait sort of just before you go on the plane, um, let me try and say the senses of it to you. There was a, a young lady, probably about 25 to 30, um, who had a drink in her hand, and it was obviously not the first drink she'd had that day. Okay? And her, um, her skirt was way too short. Way too short. And so in the area where you wait to board the plane, um, she, was, she was going around sitting on the knees of the guys who were waiting there to board the plane. You know, supper flight to the to, to coast. And she was sort of bouncing from one knee to the next all the way around. And I thought to myself, I pity the poor guy who has to sit beside her all the way to Vancouver. I'd love to tell you I opened my Bible letter to Jesus. That didn't happen. Um, just wasn't there. I really don't like hearing swearing. I just, I, my ears feel assaulted uh, when people swear. Or the other night, Harry and I flipped on a movie. It was on television. It looked like a fairly good movie. Got started. And after about ten minutes, we shut it off, changed channels. Because just, I mean, the, the language was just terrible. And I think you would, you would understand it. I get offended when people say, Oh God! Or Oh Christ! You never hear them say, Oh Buddha! <laughs> or Oh Muhammad! So this morning we come to read what's called the third word in God's talk. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, at first reading, that would seem to be a command against swearing. The people got to clean up their language and do a little better. And it might mean that. I'd like to take us far, far beyond that this morning. Because when we talk about someone's name, we really talk about their character. Uh, my name is Thomas. 
um, or I prefer Tom, but I'm properly called Thomas. And that was after my grandfather, because my mother had deep respect for, for him. The book of Proverbs says a good name is better than riches. And it means your character, who you are in the inside. Our name is our character and reputation. So when the commandments talk about the name of God, they're really meaning his character, his personality. We have winsome letters on that this morning. That What is worship? Worship is to lift the name of the Lord your God on high. That's what it is. And so God is saying to his people, remember what the commandments are for. They're for his people. His name is not to be misused, misrepresented, misunderstood. Because his name is his character. And so this morning, this idea of the name of God is critical to us in the scriptures. It's one way in which God tells us who he is. So let me give you a very brief summary this morning from the Old Testament about the name of God. And when we meet God in, in the book of Genesis 1.1, um, it says, In the beginning God created. And that is the Hebrew word Elohim. The name which is G-O-D, God, is Elohim. The I am, by the way, at the end of a Hebrew word, is, means it's plural. Not singular, it's plural. So Elohim is all that is in God. And this is how God introduces himself to us in, in Genesis chapter 1. Now when you get to Genesis chapter 2, the name of God changes. And he becomes, um, we know him as Jehovah um, or Yahweh. That's used about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It's usually written in Hebrew in four letters, Y-H-W-H, which means the tetragrammaton, four words, four letters. And it was regarded as too holy even to be spoken or written. And so when the, the scribes were writing the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and they came to this tetragrammaton, these four letters, um, they left the space. And everybody just understood that that's what that was. When they were reading the scriptures in the synagogue and you came to the name of Jehovah, the name of Yahweh, there was just a pause and people knew that you didn't even say it because to say the name of God was so holy. And so you just paused for a moment and people knew that into that moment of silence they would understand who God is. In our, if you've never known this before, you can start to read your Bible a little more carefully. In our English Bible, it's always written L-O-R-D, all in capitals. All in uppercase letters. You can add other words to that. We talk about Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord provides. That's, that's taken from the story in Genesis chapter 22. The Lord provided a sacrifice for Isaac. That's Yahweh. Um, there's a very important dialogue takes place between God and Moses in, in, in a burning bush this is in Exodus God said to Moses I am who I am this is what you say to the Israelites I am the one who has sent you and this Jehovah is the one who will send the people forth and then there's another name for God in the scriptures called Adonai uh, this is, we might use this if we were calling someone Sir or Mr. President or Mr. Prime Minister. That's Adonai. Now note it is always written as a capital L. And then small O-R-D. Different from all capitals. Jehovah. Adonai is always written capital L. And then O-R-D. And if the beginning of um, Psalm um, 8 um, verse 1. I think this comes up. Does it? Yeah, there it is. Psalm 8 1 begins. Now we think it's just repeating. Oh Lord, our Lord. But if you look at it in the screen, you see it is, O Yahweh, capital L, all the way up through, and then O Lord, or Adonai. 
And so if you start to read the scriptures, particularly some of the Psalms, um, you will see that the different names of God are used and are the writers who, um, um, printers behind the Bible, really try to understand this and make this clear for us. And the last name of God this morning is He is El Shaddai, which means He is God Almighty. We meet Him in Genesis chapter 17 as He meets um, Abraham and He is El Shaddai. Um, he's the one who is God Almighty. The point is, in the Old Testament... God's name is important. By His name, He tells us who He is in character and how He moves towards us. His name is His personality, His moral character, His identity. And so the people who say that they know and they exalt the name of God have to live in a way that honors His name. That's what the third word for us this morning is about. He trusts us with the knowledge of who He is And so he wants us to live like that. His name is how he reveals himself. And the climax, of course, for us, that comes to us um, in the person of Jesus. And we begin this morning with a lovely old chorus. And his name is wonderful. He's Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. We no longer have to look for God in the burning bush. We now find him in the person of Jesus. The Word becomes flesh. And Jesus, as we'll see this morning, teaches us a new name for God. He teaches us that God is our Father. So it is those who know and who say they know the name and the character of God that they are not to squander His name. They are not to betray His character. Rather, they are called to live in a way that reflects the character of who He is. So what might it be to exalt and honor the name of God? What might that mean for us? Let me give you four headings this morning. Just what I often call broad brushstrokes to unpack this topic. And I'm keenly aware that this leaves so, so much behind. But I hope it will get us started. Knowing God's name calls us to honesty in worship. Honesty in worship. Um, The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, the book of James in the New Testament, both of them teach us about the power of the tongue. James chapter 3, James says, No man, woman also by the way, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poisons. And James says, with it we can praise our Lord and Father. And with it we can curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth, says James, come praise and come cursing. So he's saying we can praise God in one breath and we can curse people in the same breath. And Sometimes I I need to stop. Maybe you do at times too. And think of the words that we stand and sing in worship. Well, at the same time, you know what? We can be, our minds as we're singing, we want to exalt the name of the Lord on high. Our minds can wander all over the place. We can be thinking about yesterday. Thinking about lunch. Thinking about Thanksgiving dinner. We can pray and give thanks for meals, but if that's what we're not really thankful for, we're simply going through the motions of praying. Um, in my life, I mean, you know what liver is? You buy the butchers? I've come to a conclusion for me. I don't give thanks for liver. That's hypocrisy. I just don't like it. Sorry. Maybe there's times we need to think about what we sing and pray because of the integrity the name of God's at stake sometimes we may need to be quiet in a song for a line or a word there may be times not to take communion 
Because there's an unresolved issue in our heart. Some unsettled relationships. And going through the motions of communion is not good enough. Taking the bread and wine is not just good enough. Worship demands honesty. And it does not matter what other people think. Remember our church in Calgary a long, long time ago. Um, we had a, a, a short sharing time in our service. We asked people to stand and share needs for prayer. And um, as somebody stood one side and asked for prayer for something, I saw one of our deacons close to the front. And I said, Jim, would you like to stand and, and, and pray for that? And so I kind of stood back a minute. And Jim, I remember, <laughs> Jim stopped and said, no, I'd rather not. I never happened to me before. So, but he went on. And he said, I'd rather not because my wife and I had an argument on the way to church today and we have not resolved it yet. And he sat down. That took a lot of honesty. I, you see, most of us have been raised in church. We, are, we know enough to just stand up and pray and to mouth the words. Now, I don't know what his wife said to him on the way home. No idea. But he just stood up and said, No, I'd rather not. Because we had a fight on the way to church, and we have not resolved it, and I'd rather not pray. So I got another deacon over here. To, I sure hoped he was going to stand up and pray after that. But you understand that? In his ministry, do you know that Jesus kept his strongest challenges for the Pharisees? He challenged them to see that they were experts in the appearance of worship. They knew how to go through the motions. But they were far from that in their heart. They knew all their words. All the words to say. But the inner word, the inner heart wasn't right. Jesus says for the Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father. When you pray, says Jesus, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. In worship, we are invited to meet a holy God who has come close to us. We're holding up His name. His character, His very being in worship. And so our worship should be touched with great carefulness. Our worship should have, must have deep integrity. We cannot and we should not say and sing what is not true for us. So it says things like, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Appreciate what Pastor Cindy did this morning for us in a few minutes. And our Thanksgiving prayer to read out of Psalm 100. And invite us to pray together. That demands honesty and worship. For God's sake, one of the things I hope we are and can keep cultivating um, is is an atmosphere, um, a culture of, of dynamic worship and worship that is honest in what it says about God and to God. That's a hint. God's name calls us for authenticity in daily life. Um, I don't expect, I've shared this before, I don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. Sometimes if I meet a young couple and they ask me who I am and what I do and I tell them and they might say to me in a conversation, well, we've been living together for a couple of years, we're not married. Um, And sometimes they've said, "Um, I suppose that embarrasses you. I said, no. If they're not Christians, that's their decisions. Because I don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. Why should they? 
They do not have the new life-changing power of the Spirit of God in them. They are not living transformed lives yet. But in the strongest possible way, I expect Christians to live like Christians. First Peter says to us, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and God rests in you. If you suffer, said, let it not be as a murderer, thief, other kind of criminal or meddler. However, says Peter, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God, he says, because you bear that name. Do you know that the title Christian was only used three times in the New Testament? And it was always used of the way that the outsiders, it was almost a slang, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Lost it, doesn't matter. Um, It's a slang expression. The name given to outsiders by these um, Christ followers. We are to represent in a faithful way by the way in which we live. When the New Testament talked about Christians, it, by the way, talks about the sons of the light. Sons and daughters of the day. The people of the way. Christ followers. If God is holy, we are called to be holy. If God is just, we are called to be just. If God is patient, we are called to be patient. Profanity is not just about how we speak. It is about how we live. And when we fail to reflect the character of God, we are really swearing. We are being profane in our lives. If we say we know God and we are Christians, then for God's sake, let's live like one. God's name gives us authority in ministry. The name of God is our our power and authority. And here's three main areas. First of all, in salvation. And the book of Acts says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. We believe that every person comes to a point of needing salvation and the name that we call people to is the name of Jesus. We are not really here to lift up the name of Vancouver Chinese Baptist Church. As much as you might love it and appreciate it, we're not. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. Isn't that right? We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. Because the power and authority for ministry lies only in the name of Jesus. We baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Secondly, we need the name of God and with that Jesus in ministry among people. Remember Matthew says in um, chapter 18, he says, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I in the midst. Now we usually use that verse when less people showed up for meeting than we expected. You know, we expect 35, 40 people to come to a meeting and force you up. We say, well, it doesn't matter because we're two or three gathered together in his name, um, then he's in the midst. That's not what that verse is for. Jesus says at the end of the end of Sermon on the Mount, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform miracles? Jesus says, I tell you, I never knew you. People say they do all kinds of things in the name of God, as though he's some kind of superstar endorsing our commercials. It is an awesome responsibility to say we will do something in the name of God. We ought to walk with great carefulness when we attach God's name to our efforts. God's name is not some kind of endorsement. 
It is the basis upon which we do ministry. And we ask for it with power, but we must handle His name with humility. And so we do not take His name in vain. Third heading. We need His name in prayer. We usually end our prayers with something like in the name of Jesus. Is that a formula? Is that a guarantee we get what we want? No. To ask in Jesus' name sounds almost like having a blank check that God is obligated to honor. It's important, I've shared this with you before, but just to go over with you very quickly again. There are two different Greek words um, to use that Jesus uses about prayer, when prayer is to ask God. One word is always used when, uh, when an equal talks to an equal. For example, when a doctor phones up another doctor, a lawyer phones a lawyer, they, they talk kind of as we would say, the same language on the same level. But there's a different word that's used when someone who's lower down phones the doctor or the lawyer or whatever. When Jesus says, he will ask the Father. The word that is used in Greek there for when he asks the Father is the word for this equal talking to an equal. Vitally important we understand that. It's one of the subtle ways in which John gives us his sense of equality, Jesus' equality with God. He's on the same wavelength, we might say, with the Father. He shares the same essence of God. He says, Jesus says in John 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another comforter, another counselor. Jesus is on God's wavelength when He can do that. But when He says, you can ask the Father, we can ask the Father, the word changes. It means now the word for the lesser person asking the greater um, person. Our asking is is not as pure. um, Our motives are mixed. We have all kinds of mixed agendas in our asking. And our prayers are where need to be purified and need to be filtered. So we ask in the name of Jesus that Jesus would purify and filter our prayers that come to the Father. It means really that most of our prayers still have a maturing process to go through. We're still learning what it means to pray with authority. And we pray then in the name of Jesus. But when we pray... May we know, please, with certainty that we ask in the name of Jesus who knows the heart of the Father. Last heading this morning. His name invites us to spiritual intimacy. Um, There's a lot of people today would say they believe in God. But they know Him only as Elohim. Um, Sometimes they call Him, you know, the big guy. Or the man upstairs. It's not how the Bible calls Him. Jesus in his life brings a new word, a new intimate name for us about God. He is more than just Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai or El Shaddai. Jesus says he is Father. Nowhere in the entire literature of ancient Judaism do we find God addressed as Abba Father. That is too close. It is too intimate. So when Jesus uses the name Father to describe God and His relationship with us, do we understand Jesus is opening up a whole new aspect of His character and His personality and the depth and the intimacy of who He is to us. He is calling on us to know God better than we have ever, ever known Him before. And as God moved closer to us in the life of Jesus, so Jesus is inviting us to draw closer to God than ever before. He does this by giving God a new name. 
A name that's never really used before to describe or explain God. Jesus introduces God to us by the name Father. That's how we pray. Our Father, which you art in heaven. Jesus said, I am my Father in one. And when he knelt and knelt and prayed in the garden and poured out his soul in the shadow of the cross, he didn't call it to him as Elohim or the Creator God or Yahweh or El Shaddai or Almighty God or the big guy upstairs. Out of his heart he called to him as Father. He turned his face to the one he knew as Father. He did not only kneel before the creator of the universe. He knelt before his father. And Jesus prays, my father. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But not as I will. As you will. That is an intimate kind of prayer that calls for great trust. To place all of his life in the hands of his father. It's Jesus who, who passes on this new intimate relationship with God. When he gives us a new name for him, he invites us to know him as our father. That's why Romans says to us, Romans 8, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again of fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father! Galatians, because you are sons, and I want to add daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son, a daughter, a child of God, and we also know Him as Father. Jesus says to us, if you know me, if you know who I am, you know the Father. And even as he went to the cross, and especially as he went to the cross, Jesus was accurately representing the deep love of the Father to us. There is not one time in his life when Jesus failed to honor the name of the Father before the world in his own life. And as he left, he left us with a marvelous promise. Remember in John 14, I read this at almost every funeral service. I take it as I stand beside an open grave. In my father's house. Not just in God's house. Not in the man upstairs. Not just with El Shaddai, God Almighty. But in my father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, says Jesus, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's as though we're taken even further than the end of creation. Far beyond the edge of the universe. Far beyond the limits of space exploration. Far beyond the boundaries of outer space. And we're welcomed home. Into the intimacy. And into the warmth. Of the Father's house. So this morning, do you know? Do you know? The intimacy in the heart of Jesus. As he teaches us to pray to God, we call him by his name. We call him Father. Please stand. And pray with me. Father, we walk into this world that 
in which the landscape is created by Elohim. Thank you that we can meet God Jehovah in this burning bush. Thank you for El Adonai. Thank you for El Shaddai God Almighty. But this Father, this morning, Father, thank you most of all that we just call you our Father. You bowed down and touched the earth, the person of Jesus, so we might know you in this closest, most intimate kind of way, Father. So God, as we know this name, Father, as we call you our Father, help us to live and walk with carefulness in the intimacy of your character. And always, always, Father, honor your name. Amen.